It's time for Truth Unfiltered with Pastor Chad Harvey. It's a cashless society. You go to a store to buy groceries, and they say, we're sorry, we don't take credit cards here. We only take the mark here. You go to pay your mortgage. Sorry, we don't take cash and we don't take credit. All we take is the mark here. And so that's probably what John is saying. When he also says you can't buy or sell without the mark, I wonder if what he also means is, if you don't take the mark, you can't get a job. If you don't take the mark, you get fired. And as a result, you don't have any money to buy or to sell. See, this is inconceivable in the first century. Hey, it was inconceivable uh, for us up until a couple years ago that people could have things implanted in them that would buy and sell. We couldn't even... But now we're here, aren't we? That's Chad Harvey. And welcome to today's broadcast of Truth Unfiltered. We're glad you're here. Pastor Chad is the teaching pastor at Cross Assembly Church in Raleigh, leading you to a deeper understanding of the Bible by putting the scriptures in context, emphasizing how God's Word applies to our daily lives. We invite you to join us and allow the Holy Spirit to bring truth unfiltered to you. And now, here's Pastor Chad. There's coming a global world leader, commonly called the Antichrist. He's the epitome of all wickedness. He's the culmination of everybody that hates Jesus. All false prophets, all human wickedness is embodied in this final horrific world leader called the Antichrist. Now we're talking about him today because we've been going through Revelation and we're now at Revelation chapter 13. But I believe God's people need to be aware of this coming world leader. I think God wants us to to talk about this. Why do you think God wants God's people to be aware of this? How do you know that that's something he wants us to talk about? Well, several reasons. Number one, do you know that the seven years of tribulation, when the Antichrist is going to be operating on planet Earth, those seven years are the most referenced period of time in the entire Bible. That's number one. Number two, Paul, if you look at this book of Acts, he was at the town of Thessalonica for like two or three weeks. And while he was there, he led all these people to Jesus. He starts a church. And you know one of the things he talks about in those two weeks? The Antichrist. I've been told when you lead somebody to Jesus, don't start talking about revelation. That'll confuse people. Paul didn't believe that. He leads them to Jesus and he says, this is something important you need to know. And he talks about the Antichrist. Third reason I really believe the Bible wants us to study this thing is the Bible goes to great lengths to talk about this coming world leader known as the Antichrist. This is not an obscure doctrine. In fact, in the Old Testament alone, there's about 30 different titles for the Antichrist. He's known as the little horn, Daniel 7, the coming prince, Daniel 9, the worthless shepherd, Zechariah 11. He's known as the man of sin, the son of perdition. Incidentally, Do you know what word to describe this coming world leader is rarely used in the Bible? Antichrist. In fact, John talks about the coming Antichrist in 1 John. That same man wrote the book of Revelation, and he doesn't use the word Antichrist to describe him in the book of Revelation. And so we call him Antichrist. For some reason, we've kind of latched onto that. Uh, I prefer to call him the coming world leader. People ask me this, is he alive today? I think he is. In fact, Satan doesn't know when the rapture is going to occur. So in every generation, I believe he has had a man ready to be the Antichrist in case this is when Jesus comes back. 
In 64 AD, he had a madman named Nero ready in case this is the time that he has to push back on Jesus. It wasn't the time uh, in uh, the 1940s. I believe he had a madman named Adolf Hitler ready to be the Antichrist in case this is the last time. And so I do believe he's on planet Earth today getting ready in case these are the last days. Revelation chapter 13. I don't know a better way to go through Revelation 13 than just kind of verse by verse. Let's read this together. Revelation chapter 13 verse 1 says this. Then I stood on the sand of the sea and I saw a beast rising up out of the sea having seven heads and ten horns, and on his horns ten crowns, and on his heads a blasphemous name. Now the beast which I saw was like a leopard, his feet were like the feet of a bear, and his mouth like the mouth of a lion. Understand that. Jot this down, look at it later. Daniel chapter 7 kind of explains that vision. The dragon, that's Satan, gave him his power, his throne, and great authority. So, Here's the first trait of the the Antichrist. He is satanic. He operates through the power of Satan, and we see that there in verse 2. You know, Satan is not an innovator. He's a duplicator. He tries to duplicate the things of God. So we have a trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Did you know Satan has an unholy trinity? In this passage, Satan represents kind of the father figure. Uh, The Antichrist represents the Son, the Messiah, and uh, this, this third person we're going to talk about, the false prophet, represents the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit's job is to point people to Jesus. There will be a false prophet that comes, and he points people to Jesus Christ. And so it's basically an unholy trinity. Look at verse 3. And I saw one of his heads as if it had been mortally wounded, and his deadly wound was healed. And all the world marveled and followed the beast. So they worship the dragon who gave authority to the beast and they worship the beast saying, who is like the beast, who is able to make war with him? And so here's another trait. The Antichrist is going to have a head wound that appears to be fatal. Um, in fact, now this has freaked a lot of people. Y'all remember back in the 1980s, um, the head of uh, USSR, Mikhail Gorbachev, y'all remember Gorbachev? You know, he had that big birthmark on his forehead, and everybody was like, man, what if he's the Antichrist? He's got this thing. So he wasn't the Antichrist, but the Antichrist will have some kind of wound on his uh, head. And verse 14 emphasizes this. Over and over and over again, it calls the Antichrist the one that was wounded in the head and either came back to life or was healed. In fact, uh, Zechariah eleven seventeen. it's kind of interesting. In Zechariah eleven seventeen. The Antichrist is called the worthless shepherd. And it indicates that his head has been wounded and his right arm has been wounded. Now, here's what's going to happen. He is going to be the celebrity of celebrities. And everybody on planet Earth is going to think, this guy is so cool, I want a mark on my hand and I want a mark on my head just like him. And so this cult of personality is going to make everybody want to be like the Antichrist. And if he's got a wound on the head, give me a mark on my forehead. It's kind of interesting, isn't it? In fact, I, I kind of did something like this the other day. I was watching the news. And y'all know who Dan Crenshaw is? He's a representative, ex-Navy SEAL, lost his eye in a, uh, in a firefight. And I think we have a picture of, uh, of him. And so I watched him. And I don't know if I, I do a lot of hero worship. I was like, man, I'd love to be like that guy. I'd love to be tough. Navy SEAL, I'd love to have a patch on my eye, just like him. And I said to Darla, I said, Darla, do you think it'd be too weird if I just started wearing a patch? You know, it's going to be like Dan. She said, yeah, that might be kind of weird, and so I'm not going to do it. But anyway, that's what's going to happen with the Antichrist. They're going to say, that guy's so cool, I want a mark on my hand and my head, just like him. 
Verse five, and he was given a mouth speaking great things and blasphemies and was given authority to continue for 42 months. That's three and a half years. This is the last three and a half years of the seven years of tribulation. And it's very interesting. Over and over and over again in the Bible, places like Daniel 7 and Second Thessalonians 2 and here, when the Antichrist is described, he's cocky and arrogant. That just seems to be a recurring trait. He's cocky. He's arrogant. He's arrogant. He's cocky. And we see that here in, um, in verse 5. Look at verse 6. Then he opened his mouth in blasphemy against God to blaspheme his name, his tabernacle, and those who dwell in heaven. It was granted to him to make war with the saints and to overcome them. And authority was given him over every tribe, tongue, and nation. All who dwell on the earth will worship him whose names have not been written in the book of the life of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. If anyone has an ear, let him hear. He who leads into captivity shall go into captivity. He who kills with the sword must be killed with the sword. Here is the patience and the faith of the saints. What, what, what are they saying? Look, remember I told you we're going to be raptured from planet Earth before the seven years of tribulation. But as we've seen here, scholars say more people will probably be saved and give their life to Jesus during those seven years of tribulation, during the entire history, previous history of Christianity combined. So now you got all these saved people. And that passage right there says God, for some reason, Gives the Antichrist the power just to start slaughtering them all. In other words, when you give your life to Jesus during this time, it's an automatic death sentence. Verse 11. Then I saw another beast coming up out of the earth, and he had two horns like a lamb and spoke like a dragon, and he exercises all the authority of the first beast in his presence and causes the earth and those who dwell in it to worship the first beast whose deadly wound was healed. He performs great signs so that he even makes fire come down from heaven on the earth in the sight of men, and he deceives those who dwell on the earth by those signs which he was granted to do in the sight of the beast, telling those who dwell on the earth to make an image to the beast who was wounded by the sword and lived. He was granted power to give breath to the image of the beast that the image of the beast should both speak and cause as many as would not worship the image of the beast to be killed. So now we introduce to a second person. We call this person the false prophet. And his job is to tell the whole world, in the Antichrist great? Man, he is wonderful. Hey, all of y'all, worship him. This, this false prophet will start pointing people to the Antichrist. Verse 13, he works miracles. Hey, I love miracles. I love when y'all tell me about somebody that was healed. I love signs and wonders. I love all that. But y'all listen to me. Do not build your faith on miracles, signs, and wonders. Amen. Satan can do signs and wonders. Satan can do miracles. We see that right here. Moses combated the satanic priests of Egypt and they did miracles. And this false prophet will do miracles. And it says in verse 14, he'll, he'll produce an image, a, a picture really, of the Antichrist. And he'll say, everybody, bow down and worship him. And that's verse 14. Verse 15 goes a little farther. It's kind of interesting. It says, not only does the false prophet create an image of the Antichrist and tell everybody to worship him, it says he gives life, and now that image kind of walks around and talks. Now, what is John talking about? We're not sure, but I have a theory. You know what my theory is? I think he's talking about holographic images. 
You know we have the technology now to get a two-dimensional image and almost make it come to life where it's three-dimensional, it walks around and talks. And I think that might be what John's talking about. John didn't understand the technology back then. All John sees is this man that has a two-dimensional image. Suddenly, now this image comes to life and talks. Hey, and do you know that's real popular in churches today that have multi-site campuses? Like, uh, you know, over the North Raleigh campus, they're watching me on a screen right now. But a lot of these innovative churches, they're actually doing a pastor of their preaching with a hologram, holographic image. You say, a pastor? Would you ever do that? No, that, that scares me to death. Not the technology, the price of something like that. I, I'm just, I tremble. I wake up at night in a cold sweat thinking, oh man, how much does that thing cost? I'm as, I'm as cheap as they come. So, hey, look, but, but that seems to be what's happening now with this, um, this, this prophet he brings the image, as it were, to life and now says, everybody, you've got to worship this image. Verse 16, he causes all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on their right hand or on their foreheads and that no one may buy or sell except one who has the mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name. And here's wisdom. Let him who has understanding calculate the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man. His number is 666. Now, um, there's some type of, it could be a barcode. It could be some type of biometric thing that is given to everybody who will bow down and worship the beast. Now watch. A lot of y'all are scared of barcodes, okay? They, 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 they scare you. And chips scare you. The, the issue here is not the barcode or the chip. The issue is pledging your loyalty to the Antichrist so that you can get the bar and chip, okay? And uh, some think the uh, prohibition in the Torah against people getting tattoos might be an anticipation to this day. I'm not trying to offend you because 90% of y'all here have tattoos. I've never seen so many tattoos in all my life. But, but so I'm not, I'm not bashing it. I'm just saying the Old Testament warned against that and it might be in anticipation to this. We're just not sure. And verse 17 says, no one can buy or sell without that mark. In other words, you can't be involved in commerce. Now, what that probably mean is it's a cashless society. You go to a store to buy groceries and they say, we're sorry, we don't take credit cards here. We only take the mark here. You go to pay your mortgage. Sorry, we don't take cash and we don't take credit. All we take is the mark here. And so that's probably what John is saying. When he also says you can't buy or sell without the mark, I wonder if what he also means is if you don't take the mark, you can't get a job. If you don't take the mark, you get fired. And as a result, you don't have any money to buy or to sell. See, this is inconceivable in the first century. Hey, it was inconceivable up for us up until a couple years ago that people could have things implanted in them that would buy and sell. We couldn't even, but now we're here, aren't we? And in fact, one man who grew up in um, Bulgaria under communism and experienced the totalitarian communist regime in uh, Bulgaria said this, listen to this. You cannot understand and you cannot know that the most terrible instrument of persecution ever devised is an innocent ration card. You cannot buy or sell anything except according to that little card. If they please... You can be starved to death. If they please, you can be dispossessed of everything you have. You cannot trade, you cannot buy, you cannot sell without it. And somehow that, 
number 666. In fact, when I told you I was going to preach on Revelation, I guarantee you 80% of y'all thought Mark of the Beast is 666. What's so I've been waiting, a, a pastor, for weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks. What does 666 mean? I don't know. We, nobody knows, okay? So don't email me because I know y'all are going to say, no, 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 I know what it is. No, you don't know. Nobody knows what it is. Everybody makes guesses and everybody gets it wrong. Like when Reagan became president, people started to say, wait, Ronald, that's six letters. Wilson, that's six letters. Reagan, that's six letters. Six, six, six. Ronald Reagan's the Antichrist. Well, he wasn't the Antichrist. And so we, we guess. We don't know what 666 means, but we'll know once, um, once the tribulation comes. And in chapter 16, verse 2, God gets his revenge on all the people that took the mark. There's some kind of physical reaction that people who developed this mark were not expecting. Horrible, painful, malignant sores break out on the bodies of everybody who took the mark. We're not sure what happened. Maybe uh, for a political expediency, maybe the FDA pushes this through without enough, enough investigation. We don't know. And so, and so that's what's going to happen here during the last days. And in chapter 14, verse 9, Here's what God finally does. Now, this is how serious taking the mark so you can go get some groceries is in the final days. Chapter 14, verse 9. Then a third angel. This is what happens to those who take the mark. Then a third angel followed them, saying with a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast in his image and receives his mark on his forehead or on his hand, he himself shall also drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out full strength into the cup of his indignation. He shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment ascends forever and ever ever and they have no rest day or night who worship the beast and his image and whoever receives the mark of his name that's what happens to those who take the mark now um i said this before our parking lot's getting kind of full and so it's time for me to clear out the parking lot a little bit so can we talk about something we've not talked about before can we talk about the vaccine for a few minutes y'all okay talking about that okay all right so uh, let me tell you the thing about the vaccine Three quick thoughts. Number one, it is not a sin to get the vaccine. You know what it means when you have a rule that is not in the Bible and you start imposing that rule on other people, that's called legalism. That's Pharisaism. You can't say it is a sin to get the, the vaccine. Some of y'all getting about that close from making this a moral issue. It's not a moral issue. And one of the reasons I know is some of those godly people I know People who are 10 times more godly than me have gotten the vaccine. And so you don't do that thing of, of, of it's a sin. In fact, last week, a lady came up to me and, um, and she's like, uh, Pastor, you know, I need to tell you something, uh, something that I did. And uh, I, I know you're going to be upset. And, uh, and she's going on. I thought, what, we're going to find a chopped up body in her freezer? I mean, what, what's going on here? And she finally said, oh, yeah, I, got, I got the vaccine. I said, why are you apologizing to me? Did you pray about it? She said, yeah, I prayed about it. Did you feel Jesus told you to do it? Yeah. I said, then I'm not going to judge you. You pray about it and do what Jesus tells you to do. But you can't, it's not a sin. That's ridiculous. It's not a sin. That's number one. Number two, the vaccine is not the mark of the beast. The mark of the beast takes place during the tribulation. We're not in the tribulation right now. To get the mark of the beast, you have to renounce Jesus. Those of y'all in here who got the vaccine, did y'all have to renounce Jesus before they gave you the vaccine? No. So this is not the mark of the beast, okay? But I will say this, what I just read gives you a preview of how the mark of the beast is going to happen here on planet Earth. 
One of my friends has put it this way. The vaccine is not the mark of the beast, but it is the John the Baptist of the mark of the beast. And again, five years ago, if you would have told me that the day is going to come where if you don't get a mark in your arm, then you can't work and you can't go to school. I said, no, you're talking about the tribulation. No, I'm not talking about the tribulation. That's going to happen here in America. I said, you're crazy. We're, We're at those days right now. And so, um, again, you, you pray about it. If Jesus tells you to, 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 to get the vaccine, get the vaccine. I'm not going to judge you on that. Some of y'all have investigated that, and you feel you're supposed to get it. And y'all throwing all the emails at me. I'm, I'm overloaded with information pro and against vaccine. So you just pray about it and do what Jesus tells you to do, okay? You pray about it. If Jesus tells you to get it, because I'm going to be misunderstood. If Jesus tells you to get it, go get it. I don't, it, it doesn't bother me, okay? But something, I'm just telling you. Something's not adding up here. You know, John MacArthur told a bunch of uh, youth recently, Pastor MacArthur said, youth, if y'all gonna survive in this generation, you need two things. Number one, you need courage. And number two, you need critical thinking. And the critical thinking thing is gone in America. And so it protects you, but, but you need to get it to protect those of us who are vaccinated. In fact, explain this to me. The protected need to be protected from the unprotected by forcing the unprotected to use the protection that didn't protect the protected. It doesn't make any sense to me, okay? So anyway. But if you feel like you're supposed to get it, I'm serious, get it. We love you. You're still welcome here at this church. All right, so other traits of this coming world leader known as the Antichrist. Number one, he'll make a seven-year peace treaty with the Jews. That's Daniel 9, 27. I'm not going to go through all the different scripture references, but he's a financier. We see that in Revelation and in Ezekiel. He's a great speaker. We see that in Daniel and Revelation. He's a genius. He's a religious leader. He will initially come in peace. Now, keep that word peace in mind. Because in a few minutes, I'm going to be reminding you that Islam means peace. He will come in peace. He's possibly a homosexual or celibate. Because Daniel 11.37 says, he will show no regard for the desire of women. Which leads some scholars to either believe he's a homosexual or maybe he's celibate. And if he's celibate, some have wondered, is maybe he a pope? We're not sure. He's a miracle worker, 2 Thessalonians 2.9. And he's possibly from the ancient Assyrian Empire. Micah 5, Isaiah 10, Isaiah 14 seem to indicate that he might come from the ancient Assyrian Empire. Where's the Assyrian Empire? Look at this map, I'll show you. This is the ancient Assyrian Empire, okay? And so possibly um, these passages are pointing us to the fact that he will have been from somewhere in that area. He also may be a Muslim. Daniel, now look, in just a second, I'm going to share some things with you from Islam. And if there was a Muslim scholar sitting right there, he would say, I agree with everything Chad just said. Now, I don't agree with his conclusions, but what Chad is saying is actually true. So I'm not bashing Muslims. I'm just telling you what Muslims say in their own uh, writings. But Daniel 9.27 says that, the, um, that the, the Antichrist is going to be from the ancient Roman Empire. Well, Pastor, let me ask, how could he be from the Middle East and a Muslim and still be from the Roman Empire? Well, you forget the Roman Empire actually had two legs. And you see this vision in Daniel chapter 2. Daniel 2 is fascinating. In fact, scholars are now trying to redate Daniel because they said there's no way a guy could have guessed several centuries before the Roman Empire comes along. He couldn't have guessed that. He had to have been after it. So anyway, two legs of the ancient Roman Empire. One was the western leg. But we forget there was an eastern leg called the Byzantine Empire. 
And here's where the Byzantine Empire was. Look at that. And if you look at that, there is some overlap between that and the Assyrian Empire, specifically right there in Turkey and in Syria. And so that's why I've wondered, is the Antichrist going to come from Turkey or, uh, or Syria? The Antichrist will, will construct a coalition with the country of Magog to invade Israel, according to Ezekiel 38. And there are eight specific nations that are going to be part of that alliance. Did you know that today, every one of those eight countries are a Muslim country? The Muslims talk about a, you know Muslims have an eschatology. We, we Christians are not the only ones that have a doctrine of the end times. Muslims do as well. And they believe that there is coming this great hero called the Mahdi, M-A-H-D-I. And we learn about the Mahdi from the Quran and from the Hadith. The Hadith is basically the traditions of Islam. And, um, and if you pull some of these, these um, hints together from the Quran and the Hadith about what this great Mahdi, this great hero that the Muslims are waiting for is going to be like, here's some traits of him. See if this sounds familiar. He will be a global leader. He will be loved and almost worshipped by everybody. Ancient Islamic tradition says, quote, all the inhabitants of the earth will deeply love him. Allah will sow the love of him in the hearts of all people. The Mahdi appears. Everyone talks only about him, drinks the love of him, and never talks about anything other than him. He will, ta- he will make a seven-year peace treaty with the Jews. He will arrive on a white horse. He will initially come as a man of peace. He will slaughter Jews and Christians. He will be based in Jerusalem from the Dome of the Rock. Does this guy sound familiar? Their Mahdi is our Antichrist, I believe. Now, here's what some of y'all are saying. Thanks a lot. It's been a hard week, a stressful week, and I came to church to get encouraged, and all y'all talking about is Antichrist, fire and brimstone and false prophets. Well, I want you to understand this. I want you to leave here today and understand that the purpose of the Bible telling you all about the Antichrist is to remind you that as bad as it gets, in the end, Jesus is the last man standing and we're going to come back with him. We will rule and reign with Jesus Christ. Thanks for joining us for today's Truth Unfiltered broadcast. We invite you to join us again next time for more great teaching from Pastor Chad Harvey, teaching pastor at Cross Assembly Church of Raleigh. I believe gathering together is an integral part of the life of a Christian. We're meant to live in community with others. What drew me to Cross Assembly is the community, the fellowship. I was eager to get that family feel and to have that moment of coming into church and just knowing these are my people, these are the people of God. And one way that I felt that at Cross was through groups. Being able to come here and feeling like that group of people, they were my people, they were my family. Groups are important because it is a way to learn how to be the church and not just go to church. It's one of those things that definitely makes you feel a sense of belonging, understanding that you're not alone. One of the most impactful semesters we've had has been a semester where almost everyone in our group was going through big life changes. There was sickness, loss of job. As one person shared, we prayed. Then another person was encouraged and they shared and we prayed. Throughout that semester, we saw God move in amazing ways. We have this saying that friends become family. That's what we've experienced through gathering together. You're finding people who are serious about their faith, who want to grow deeper, who 
also are looking out for you like a church family supposed to look out for each other. My relationship with God has increased dramatically. Being connected to the group really allows people to challenge me. That general accountability for my prayer life and kind of checking that. My favorite aspect of groups is serving. Serving is really a chance to humble yourself. You're no longer focused inwardly. You're no longer focused on your life, your problems. You're focused on how can God use me to bless this other person. The more we can get together and align with the vision of building and sending out those spirit-filled agents, the more our community will see the true love of Jesus. When you serve together with someone, it not only helps you to no longer be inward focused, but it can also strengthen a bond between the friend that you're serving with because both of you are humbling yourselves in order to help someone else. It can create memories that you'll never forget. If you are not in a group, I strongly encourage you to be a part of the family. You don't want to miss these opportunities to grow together, to gather together, to fellowship, and to serve one another. If you would like more information about Pastor Chad or Cross Assembly, visit crossassembly.org. Again, that's crossassembly.org. You're always welcome to visit us at any of our locations for Sunday morning services. You'll find locations and service times on our website. To support this ministry, text CROSS to 45777. That's CROSS to 45777. Join us again next time for more teaching with Pastor Chad Harvey, teaching pastor of Cross Assembly Church in Raleigh, and more of God's Truth Unfiltered. Unfiltered.